Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. We are continuing exploring the lives of various people throughout the early church who might be some of our like lesser known influential people. And last week we started looking at the most, uh, the most influential Stephen that you've never heard of, or maybe you haven't heard of in a long time. I mean, I joked, you might know like Stephen Tyler, or if you're a Third Eye Blind fan, you know Stephen Jenkins, or if you're an old film fan, you like uh, Steve McQueen, or whatever the case might be. But this is Stephen of the early church, and we studied him last week. He was one of these outsiders that was brought to the inside. Remember the problem in the early church last week was that this church that was founded on the love and justice of God in this world, the rescue and the renewal of Jesus Christ for all people, had a major blind spot. And they were leaving people out of the church because of their ethnicity. They didn't mean to. It just happened because of their blind spots. Stephen, it was one of those outsiders who was brought in. He was called a person full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And so we pick up our story with Stephen now. And it says, Stephen, this is, Acts chapter, this is excerpts of Acts chapter 6, 7, and the very beginning of Acts chapter 8. Uh, for time's sake, I do encourage you to go back and read all of chapter 7, because it's this big speech that Stephen gives, and it's essentially a crash course in Old Testament history of the people of God 101, okay? But for time's sake, and because you have other things to do today, we're gonna, I'm going to give you the highlights here. So... Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. When they secretly instigated some men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, they stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes, and then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never stops saying things against this holy place. And the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. Then the high priest asked him, Are these things so? And Stephen replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our ancestor Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. So then Just interjecting here, he goes on to recount the deeds of God throughout the Old Testament. And after recounting the entire story, he picks up in verse 51 and says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, meaning uninitiated, not part of the inside. You think you're inside, but you're not. You are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. 
You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he died. And Saul approved of their killing him. That day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray together. Gracious God, even in this moment of silence and stillness, still our minds race. We are a people who run from the past or strain toward the future. But the one place that is so hard to be is right here, right now, in the present. Help us to see this is exactly where you will meet us. We're a people who come from diverse perspectives and backgrounds and experiences, coming to these scriptures with different expectations. Some of us expecting and waiting for you to do something or say something in our lives. We're we're leaning forward into your presence. Some of us wondering if we could ever even believe these things. Some of us remembering a time where you seemed so close and now you seem a million miles away and we're wondering what happened to you or what happened to us. But however we find ourselves right now, help us to see that we have far more in common than we realize. On one hand, none of us has it all together. Each of us is what we might call a beautiful mess. And at the same time, You see us in all our beauty, in all our brokenness, in all our complexity, in all our contradictions, in all the ways we get it, in all the ways we don't get it. And your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love, in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we ask now, by the power of your spirit, that you would break through and teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed. The same spirit that literally inspired Stephen, of whom we just read, that birthed the early church, that moved a movement of renewal and reconciliation that spans even now today in San Diego at Renew Church and beyond. Would that spirit wake us up to your grace today and send us out to be your very hands and feet of resurrection renewal wherever we go. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Put on my stopwatch for your good, not mine. So I'll tell you, 
uh, two events that happened in relatively the same water on Wednesday. The first one was when I was out swimming in, in La Jolla Cove and I approached the quarter mile buoy. So we're a quarter mile out to sea, quick math there, the quarter mile buoy, which just means that you're kind of not going to get to land anytime soon if anything goes wrong out there. I'm talking to my friend and we're kind of bobbing in the surf and treading water and sharing stories and he looks over my shoulder and his eyes get as big as saucers and he says, there's an animal behind you. Is it a shark? Now, sharks actually show up pretty frequently on our swims. I'm used to seeing them. It, you still get this adrenaline run when you see it, but then you say, okay, it's seven feet below me. It's going in a different direction. It hasn't changed course. It's going to be okay. But you don't want to see a shark on the surface of the water. You don't want to see that fin coming out out of the water. And I turn around and that's what I saw. It was a moment of pure discomfort. Let's just say that to put it lightly. Until I saw the beautiful curvature of that back and the dorsal fin and, I and, and the tail fin and I realized it was a dolphin. And then I saw his, his buddy and then two more and then two more. And a moment of sheer panic turned into a moment of sheer beauty as these dolphins swam around us. And as a side note, dolphins are apex predators. So if you see them, you could be assured there aren't any sharks around. Side note. Two hours later and two miles north at the Scripps Pier, which is the other side of La Jolla, my friend Rolf was swimming around the Scripps Pier, which is for oceanographic research. And as he's swimming around the pier, he happens to be an oceanographer and a deep sea diver and is part of that community. He hears a voice from one of the researchers on the pier, and he recognizes it as his friend, yelling his name, Rolf, Rolf. And Rolf turns around and, and stops swimming and says, hey, what's up, how are you doing? The guy says, you might want to turn around. Ralph said, why? He said, because there's a 10-foot great white shark behind you. I have a, I have a video on my phone of the, of the video shot there. I'll show you later. Now, here's the interesting thing. After I tell the first story, everybody comes up after church and says, when can we go swimming? After I tell the second story, nobody's going to ask me if they can ever go swimming with me again. So you can kind of choose your own adventure there. But here's the point. Life can be confusing sometimes. You can think that you're actually in a dangerous moment of life and then it passes and you go, that wasn't so bad. Like you kind of brace yourself for the storm and then the storm doesn't come. Whew. Or you can be in the middle of a beautiful day or a great period of life where you are successful and things are swimming along and the sharks show up against your control, against your will, out of nowhere. The question is, what do you do in your life when the sharks show up? What do you do in your life, whether it's everything swirling in the ether of our country right now, pick your topic, it will be stressful, or whether it's the swirl in your own life or your own heart? Sociologist Peter Berger said, every culture in history has provided its members with explanation of human events that bestows meaning upon the experience of suffering and evil. Every culture provides some sort of an explanation of suffering so that when you face it, you can respond to it. You can get through it. You can face it. But sociologists and anthropologists by and large agree that modern Western culture, us, we are one of the worst in history for giving people equipment to handle suffering. We try to entertain it away. We medicate it away. We feed ourselves stories that we are the master of our own fate, the captain of our own ship, and so when it hits us, we feel entitled 
or we just feel like crumbling down into nothing because it doesn't fit the grid. Christianity presents to you one of the best systems for handling suffering in the world. And I would make the case to you, it's not true because it's useful, it's useful because it's true. As you study different world religions, only Buddhism and Christianity put suffering at the heart of the faith or the worldview. Buddhism says the point is to escape suffering by escaping and letting go of your desires. Christianity says there is a God who has suffered on your behalf and walks through it with you now and will one day heal all things. And here's the thing. It's not like this, this room or the, our friends joining online can be divided into groups of some people believe and some people don't. Everybody believes something. Everybody puts your faith and trust in something. The question is, is the story that holds your life true enough, noble enough, strong enough to hold you through the storms of life? And this is what we see in Stephen. So let's just take a look at the excerpts that we have, and I'll fill them in for you, at what Stephen said, what Stephen saw, and what Stephen did. First, in Acts of the Apostles so far, which is the book we're in, this is kind of the, the very, it starts with Jesus ascending into heaven, the spirit coming to the church, and then the birth of the early church across uh, the area in which they were. And Jesus has said in Acts chapter 1, right, before, right after his resurrection and before he was ascended into heaven, these are all heady things that we've spoken about here in the last eight weeks if you go back and see the podcast. He said, you will receive power from on high, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And in bold and brave response, they went nowhere. <laughs> they did what you or I would do. They just maintained. <laughs> they stayed put. And the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and there's this amazing moment where, okay, fine, if you're not going to go to the nations, God will bring the nations to you. And as we reminded each other last week, the first sermon was in what language? All of them as everybody could hear the good news of God's rescue in their own native tongue. And then there was the act of great blind spot injustice because the Greek widows were being left out of the distribution of bread. That was Acts chapter 6, talked about that last week. The solution to it was not the people in power will figure it out, we'll get back to you, just check back tomorrow if you don't hear from us. No, they took people from the outside, to put them on the inside, gave them power and let them make decisions. Stephen was one of those people which brings us to today. And the point is, Stephen didn't start out as a Hebrew insider. Okay? The first Christians were Jews. And they were not Jews who tried to stop being Jews and start being Christians. They were Jews who were waiting for the Jewish Messiah, and they found him. His name is Jesus. And so what's more Jewish than finding the Messiah and following him with your early life? Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He came to fulfill an old promise. And so the first church, the insiders, were the Hebrews. That's, I mean, the first church services were at the temple. They were worshiping Yahweh, come, in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. The point is, Stephen wasn't one of those people. Stephen was Greek. So spiritually, they were brothers and sisters, but ethnically, they weren't. And now Stephen's been brought to the inside, and so he is enjoying being a part of the family. He's enjoying being well-known and respected until now. Until it says, then, some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, and it lists the places from which they come, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, from Cilicia, from Asia. And the point is, 
these are Stephen's own people. Like these are the, the non-Hebrews that are coming in who literally are going to be throwing stones at him. He's beginning to face persecution from his own people. And I love that scripture is brutally honest about following Jesus will have a social cost to it. If you want the most social gain, don't follow Jesus. Unless, I don't know, there are some cultures that prize that and, you, you know, whatever. This isn't one of them. There's a social cost. Why do you think his own people attacked him? His own people. I was talking to another leader in San Diego the other day, and they have some internal stuff going on. And I said, isn't it always the wounds from the allies that hurt the most? You know, a hater can hate, and you just expect it. But someone is supposed to be with you. Those are the ones that hurt the most. Stephen's experiencing that. Some of you have experienced that. There's a guy named Enrique who heads up an organization called Border Angels that does work right here on the San Diego-Tijuana border, really providing mercy and life-saving help for people in their most urgent moment of need. And he said to me, you know, you've made it when your own people, your own tribes start attacking you. <laughs> so there's a positive spin on it. But the point is, when you follow Jesus, when you live according to this alternative kingdom of God, you can expect a warm welcome sometimes, like Stephen did. And you can expect persecution sometimes. That's part of what it looks like to live in this world according to a different kingdom. And here's the diagnostic test that I like to pose to myself and to you at times. You should expect warm welcome sometimes. You should expect persecution and pushback sometimes. If you're only experiencing one or the other, then you might be missing something about the kingdom of God. Here's what I mean. If you only expect warm welcome, it means that you might be more on the yes person kind of side, echo chamber kind of side. I'm only going to tell you things you want to hear kind of side. But there's no transformation. There's no challenge. There's no prophetic speaking, right? Or if you're only experiencing pushback, only experiencing persecution, it might be an indicator, I would suggest, not that the gospel is being rejected, but that you're shoving your faith down other people's throats in a way that is offensive and unhelpful and being rejected. You should experience both at some point in time. Now back to the story. In the context of this intense social, physical, communal pressure, what does Stephen say? He has a grand story to commend to them, a grand narrative, a story of the world in which all of our stories play out and have meaning. And we heard the very beginning of it. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. You know about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then he goes on to say, they sought the presence of God. But even Jacob, who had the 12 patriarchs that went on to be the 12 tribes, you know, 11 out of 12 went against the 12th one, Joseph in his technicolor dream coat, and sold him into slavery, and he was moved to Egypt. But even God rede redeemed that. And 400 years went by of slavery, and God even redeemed that as he called up Moses, led them out of slavery into the promised land, and now they're free. And what do they do with their freedom? They make a golden calf to worship it. And the, story, the point is this, you long for God in your life in some way, shape, or form, the transcendent, the connection to be truly alive, you want it, and God keeps getting in front of you, and you keep saying, no, thank you, I've got a better idea. And God keeps getting in front of you again. 
and you wander away and then God comes and gets in front of you. God's patience never runs out. God's grace never runs out. As Martin Luther, the reformer, said, God's ability to forgive is always grander than our ability to sin or wander. God's grace always goes first. And so Stephen, under pressure, is sharing this story. Stanley Hauerwas, the theologian and practitioner, says, the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate sign that our salvation comes only when we cease trying to interpret Jesus' story in light of our story, and instead we interpret ourselves in the light of his. Stephen's saying, this is the story of a God who will do anything to get in front of you, culminating in Jesus Christ, who would literally die for you. And you rejected him. This is where he says, you stiff-necked people. This is your story. And you're missing the point. I mean, this is a very common occurrence in our house. We're about, we're about to go somewhere great. The beach. An amusement park. Take your pick. And our kids can't get out the door because they're arguing over something that I consider petty. Now look, when I was a kid, I did the same thing. So there's no shame and no blame. It's just a reality. But I turn to them and I'm like, we are so close to going to SeaWorld right now. Could you please just stop arguing over who gets the fill in the blank? Everyone's going to get one. You're missing it. You're missing the bigger picture. And Stephen says, this is your story, and you're missing the bigger picture. God is calling you into the mission of renewal. You've always longed for it, and you've always resisted it. He's standing in the temple, commending the great story of God. Now, I said earlier, it's not as though some people believe in in some meta-narrative and others get a pass on that. Some people have faith and others don't. All of us believe in some story that's driving your life. The question is, are you aware of it? Is that story that if you have the right amount of success, that you'll finally be accepted? Or if you have the right amount of wealth, that you could finally feel secure? Or if you have the right amount of relationships, that you can finally know that you will not be alone. Or if you can prove your point enough in a particular scenario that you will be right and they will be wrong because it's critical to be right. What is the story that's driving your life? Stephen commends this story of God's rescue throughout all creation. Stephen realizes he's united with Christ. And don't miss his last words. As he is dying, as he's being murdered, he says, Father, receive my spirit. Father, forgive them for their sin. This echoes the exact words of Jesus Christ from the cross. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen is becoming an apprentice of Jesus even at the point of death. Literally living a cross-shaped life. Perhaps doing what the Apostle Paul will later call sharing in Jesus' sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that you may be joined together in his resurrection. So Stephen, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge and it's an encouragement. There is a greater story out there. It is your story. What story are you living according to? Find yourself in his. That's what Stephen said. But what did he see? These next two points will be shorter, I promise. What did he see? 
What gives him courage to say this? What gives him the ability to respond to violence with forgiveness instead of vengeance? It says Stephen looked up, and what does he see? When he looked up, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, let's just park on that for a minute, because it's very nuanced, but the early audience, the early witnesses would have seen something that you and I would miss. Because in that particular culture, and in many other cultures even today, there's no separation between the powers of government, right? Legislative and um, you know, all that judicial, executive. It was all one. And so the, the ruler was also the judge. The throne room was also the courtroom. And the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together ruling over all creation, except Stephen, note, doesn't see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. He sees him standing at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing? What is he doing? You know who stands in front of the judge? The defendant and the attorney. You stand trial. Jesus is standing before God the Father, pleading Stephen's case before the Father. Jesus is, Stephen is testifying to these people about Jesus while Jesus is testifying to his Father about Stephen. And the testimony goes like this. At his moment of death, remember this is, Stephen will die by the end of this day. Father, Accept Stephen into your glory, not based on the good things that he's done, but on my perfect life on his behalf. Father, cast your judgment not upon Stephen, not because of the things that he has done wrong, but because I lived and died and rose for him. Father, welcome Stephen into our kingdom in the same way that you welcome me. When you realize that Jesus is pleading on your behalf, not because of the good that you have done or the bad that you have done, but because of him. You have a new power, a new confidence, a new buoyancy, a new patience, a new humility altogether. And that's what we see in Stephen. It changes the way you face opposition. It changes the way that you face criticism. It transforms the way that you frantically try to please others. It transforms the way you frantically try to control others. It transforms the way that you posture yourself or you pretend or you bend the truth because you think if other people really knew who you are or how scared you are or how alone you are that they would run away. What did Stephen see? He saw what is true of you and me, that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father advocating for you. What would be different today in how you treat the people around you if you could remember that is the truest thing and you could remember he's also advocating for them? What would be different tomorrow at work in how you perform for your boss or how you manage your team, how you work on your product or your service? What can propel you, not only through the difficulties of this life, but propel you in mission to move toward the difficulties of other people's lives, seeing that this is the way that God moves toward 
you. Now, what did Stephen do? On one hand, um, spoiler alert, Stephen died. You saw that. So I guess that's not even a spoiler. Uh, Acts, the book of Acts is often called Acts of the Apostles. Many theologians say it would be more appropriately entitled Acts of the Holy Spirit or Acts of God because it is God doing stuff through these bumbling people that move two steps forward and one step back. So I don't know. It just worked out to order this. What did Stephen uh, say? What did he see? What did he do? But really it's what did God do through Stephen? And here's what God did. Changed the world changed the world. At the very end there, there, there's the name Saul mentioned twice. They dragged him out of the city, verse 58. They dragged him out of the city, began to stone him, and witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. Laying their coats at the feet of a man named Saul is a picture of soldiers or minions or emissaries doing the dirty work. And you take off your jacket first before you get your hands dirty. And they laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul, which denotes that he was the one in authority. He was overseeing this thing. But later on, Saul would have an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And would have a transformed life and a transformed mission. He would later have his name changed to Paul, who we know has written a majority of the New Testament letters to the early churches. One of the most influential church leaders. And interestingly enough, Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 that I gave you a little bit of, that sermon formed a large part of the basis of Paul's theology. Even when Paul was wandering in the worst ways that led to murder, God was already planting seeds of redemption in his life, and Stephen was a part of that. You know what else transformed there? Remember I told you that in Acts chapter 1, God said, you will receive power from on high, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. This will go out, and they said, let's find a way to stay together. It was this tragic moment of the first martyr in the New Testament, beside Jesus, who launched the explosion of the early church into all of the surrounding territories. It became unsafe for Christians to remain in Jerusalem, and so they were forced to move out. But that explosion was in some ways a big bang moment where the energy is still moving outward even today to area code, zip code 92104 in San Diego, in North Park, and around the world. As the gospel has been not only preached, but received and lived out in every language, on every continent. So you know what that means? It means Renew San Diego is a part of this great movement. It means that when you individually face hardship, remember what Stephen said. You are a part of a bigger story. Remember what Stephen saw. Jesus advocates for you even now and will never leave you or forsake you. And remember what God did and continues to do bring redemption even out of the most difficult moments and seasons of our lives. And when you forget, we'll remind each other. And when I forget, you'll remind me. Friends, this is the key to a buoyant life and in your individual life, but when a community lives this way, it transforms the world. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that your same spirit that showed Stephen, Jesus, advocating for us, would now reveal to our hearts the way that you are for us even when we aren't for ourselves. Pray that you would show us that we are part of a bigger story 
that we're not only invited to receive because it's beautiful, but we're invited to build our lives on because it's true. And we pray just as you accelerated the renewal and transformation of society through suffering for them, that you would do the same for us in our own individual trials, difficulties, in the ways that our community and our country and our world seem to operate according to the currency of violence, judgment, mistreatment, greed, pride, and we're coming undone. And so we pray for the renewal of the face of the earth, but start with us right here, right now. We are asking you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.